going with the crowd. Um, hello, everybody. Um, we uh, <coughs> there's a man. <coughs> He's somewhat fictional, but don't let that stir you. His name is Rail Gibb. And this man is running for mayor of Portland. Rail Gibbs says that he believes in fairness and fair laws. I know. He says that he believes in law and order and low taxes. He says that he believes in limited government and the original interpretation of the Constitution. He's tough on crime and high on solid civic and classical education for our children. He wants to make our schools better and safer. He says that he sees through all the woke nonsense and will work to return our leadership to a foundation of character, talent, and ability. <coughs> Excuse me. He says this again and again as he runs for public office. And everywhere he, everywhere he goes, he carries his slogan, Back to Basics. It's on his hat. It's on his buttons. It's on his banners. He doesn't even really have to say it. He's been campaigning on this so much that everybody knows that he stands for it. He stands for getting back to founding principles. So, <coughs> this is very real presence. This thing. <coughs> Excuse me. His very real presence stands for conservative values. So, what's your first reaction? He doesn't have a prayer getting elected mayor in Portland. That's for one. But let's say, and I just saw a report that, uh, that, that Portland is, in a national news report, just, just dire about crime rates and all of that. Anyway, let's just say that the people of Portland and Eugene have gotten so sick of the crime and so sick of the homelessness and the incompetence that the winds of opinion are changing and people are finally ready for a change. And this is the one man that they're leaning towards. Let's say he's even ahead in the polls. Well, we can't believe it, but he is. So we wait. What would we do? Pray for him? You know, let's just say he's got a chance. Well, why don't we pray for him? And we'll pray for us as well. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1, and we're going to uh, continue to see today that uh, the, what really the main theme of James is, and in reference now, moving on to in chapter 2, the passage that is a very sticky passage for a lot of people. Now, once you understand the context of the whole book, it'll make perfect sense. So let's bow our heads and pray and thank God for our time to be in his word and be able to learn his word and to be able to comprehend such a marvelous text as the book of James. With humility and reverence, let's pray. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for our ability to hear your word. Thank you that through your word, which is timeless and eternal, that you have blessed us with wisdom and knowledge so that we have insight into the things that you have made us to be, or really the things that you have blessed us with and the people you have made us to be. You have set us free. You have forgiven our sins through Christ our Lord. We are your first fruits. We are righteous and justified by faith and by faith alone. We thank you, Father, for your Son and the Spirit and for this word. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to leave our fictitious politician aside just for a time. In fact, there have been many like them uh, who have, uh, but they never win. So the only fictitious part of what I told you was the poll, the polls. But anyway, uh, in the book of James, save your soul means to save your life. We've seen this. Save your soul means to save your life. Save your life in the book of James means to care for your life. It means to care for eternal life, which is Christ's life. And why would we care for it? And this is a great thing that we need to all comprehend eventually, is that the life that you and I have is precious. And shouldn't we care for that which is precious? It's a precious gift from God. It's the most precious gift you possess, I would say, is your spiritual life. I'll put it this way. It's the most precious gift that you possess that you can control. You know, your greatest gift is Christ, of course. But this this life that God has given you, absolutely precious. James, therefore, turns to first death. Well, actually, he starts with trials, but we'll start with death today. Uh, <coughs> he says sin brings forth death. When sin matures... It brings forth death, James 1.15. And this death, it certainly isn't physical death or we'd all be dead. And it certainly, and be careful to understand this, this is not spiritual death. Uh, if it were, then none of us would be saved. Right? If salvation is by works and not by faith, then James is in complete disagreement with Paul and the rest of the New Testament. We've got a serious issue. The book shouldn't be even in here. A right straw epistle, says Martin Luther. Uh, but James here is not talking about death in terms of, you know, the death that he's talking about can certainly lead to physical death prematurely. But he's definitely not speaking of spiritual death, not in this epistle. Next, we have James' use of the word save. And this is where it gets sticky for people because we see the word save and we think, well, that means eternal salvation. It does not. It doesn't always mean that. What does it mean to save your soul in James 1.18 or 1.21? And it means to save your life. In James 1.21 it is. God gives, or sorry, God brought us forth by the word of truth were his first fruits. And this is how James makes it clear to us that our temptations don't come from God because temptation leads to sin and sin leads to death and God is not about death. He doesn't tempt us to death. God gives life. And the example is our salvation. That's what James brings to us. In James 1.18, God says he, or James says he brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought forth is the same word. It's a birthing word. Brought forth, the same word that James uses for uh, bringing forth death from sin, is the same word that he uses for bringing forth life from our faith in the gospel. And so God brought us forth in the word of truth. What a gift. And James here, right at the start, is sure to reveal to us that he's writing to believers. And he uses the term, my brethren, multiple times. But then, you know... Salvation is not the end of it, and we all know that. So does James. And so next he moves to God gives the word to obey to save our earthly lives. 
And there's multiple ways you can express this. Uh, save your life, save your earthly life, save your life in time, save your life on earth. Save how? Well, he's going to help us with that because he's going to describe it as the crown of life. So, But first, let's look at James 1.21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your lives. It's not soul there. It's lives. And the same exact phrase he uses at the very end of the book, where he says, and I can read it for you here. Uh, at the very end, 519. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. Does that mean from the lake of fire? Just read it in, in, in the sentence, the context of the sentence. It doesn't mean that at all. <coughs> save his soul. It's the same phrase that's used here in 115. is to save his life. Because the one who has, as he says here, turns a sinner from the error of his way, the sinner who continues in the error of his way, in 115, will eventually experience the life that is, James describes as death. And that life is unfruitful. It's infertile. And I, I don't mean physically. I mean you know, producing fruit. It's sterile. It's not full of joy. It is not the life that God has for us. So go back to 112. Because saving your life gets right back to the beginning of the paragraph. Saving your life is in 121. <coughs> but then in 112, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Not every Christian loves God. This is clear. We'd all have the crown of life. But it's uh, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. The one that loves him is the one who perseveres. In other words, the one who, the one sees the life, this one who perseveres, sees the life that God has given them as precious, as valuable, as the most valuable thing. And this life meaning the spiritual life. Seeing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as their true father, as their true brother, as their true guide and mentor in the Spirit. They see this. Right now, as we grow in grace and knowledge, we're in the process of, of really seeing that. And so there's definitely a growth period. But we should also say, if this letter is written as early as we think it is, that a couple of years have gone by, say it's even five years, that have gone by in the church. Therefore, every believer that anybody is writing to is a new believer. Are they not? If the church is like five years, say it's even ten years old. If I receive this, I've been saved over 30 years. If I received this letter from somebody 20 years ago, I would have been like, wow, this guy's legalistic. I'm slow. I'm slow at everything. But one thing I have is perseverance, though. I'm a... I'm not much of a quitter, but it's slow in the uptake for sure. But anyway, it's not about me. They are all new believers here. And it is required that they live out their obedience to the faith. 
And so the crown of life is not justification. And I put Romans 3.24, but it's Romans 3.24, dot, dot, dot. 3.24, 3.28, is multiple times in chapter 4. Romans 5.1, that we're justified by faith. Paul says it again and again and again. But James doesn't mean that here. And the justified word, and see, justified comes later. Might get to it Sunday, but it's uh, <clears throat> can faith. Well, we'll read it. I don't know why I didn't put all these in my notes, but who cares? Um, <clears throat> so look at verse 24. 224. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. You're like, that's wrong. That can't be right. That's not Paul. <laughs> he's not talking about the same justification. Because he's not talking about the same thing. In in Romans, Paul is talking about Romans three, four, five, three, four, and five. Paul is talking about salvation. Here, James is talking about saved people living out their spiritual lives. And <clears throat> so we say, well, you know, now think of this. We use the term like this all the time. Is that justified? So we we see somebody doing an act, uh, saying something. And we say to ourselves, should you be doing that? Is that justified? And that is the way in which James is using this word. So we return to our faithful politician. I called him Rail Gibb. <laughs> he gets elected. He gets elected. There, our politician gets elected. He gets elected mayor of Portland, and we can't believe it. He's conservative. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. We might even be able to go to Portland again and have dinner in the evening without getting assaulted. <clears throat> so we're excited. We almost expect changes overnight, right? We'd love it, but we're... You know, we're smart. We're smarter than that. Things take time. And we know it'll take time, so we expectantly wait. And so we wait. And we'll wait on Mayor Gibb. <laughs> Go to James 2.14. <coughs> Excuse me. What use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Now, the question that this, well, first off, you see that word, that, can that faith save him? We saw this on Sunday. In the Greek, the original Greek, there's no word that. It's not there. It's He writes, can faith save him? So this is the way it should be. I would even, in your Bibles, cross that word that right out. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can faith save him? So the question in Greek implies its own answer, and the Greek is it's, it's a debater's thing, and it implies its own answer, which is absolutely not. Faith cannot save him. That is what James is saying. Faith can't save him, can it? That's how he's writing it, and the expected response is no, it can't. Now, what happens with those of us who understand, obviously, the doctrine of salvation, that we at first don't want to admit that, 
you know, we don't we want to say, well, James is not really talking about he's talking about something else or he means something else. We have to at the front here say that this is exactly what James is saying. James is right. Either throw the letter out, tear it out of your Bible, or accept what he says. What he says is that faith cannot save. And it irks us and it makes us wiggle and that's a good thing, I think. The correct, uh, so, but James has already stated that his listeners are God's children. As we saw back in, uh, if I go back a slide here, he brought us forth by the word of truth in 118. We're his first fruits. James certainly knows that faith saves. So, what is he after here? And it's just what we saw prior. It's not. Can faith save him from the lake of fire? No. It's can faith save his life? And the answer is definitely not. We say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. Again, we're talking about life in terms of time. Fruitful life. We're talking about crown of life. We're talking about fruitful life. We're talking about can, if I have faith, but I don't act on that faith, am I going to be mature? And we all know the answer is no to that. If I have faith and I don't act on that faith, in other words, I don't have works, am I going to be what God has designed me to be? Am I going to really live and live? Remember Christ said, I give them life and I give it abundantly. Am I going to live that life abundantly? If I, I have the doctrines in my soul, I believe them, or so I say, but I don't live them, I don't do them, I don't serve, I don't give, I don't, you know, someone's in need, I'm like, yeah, you know, I know I should give, but I won't. I don't sacrifice, I don't serve, I don't pray, I don't study, I don't do, I don't do that. I know that Jesus loves me and that's good enough. America's full of Christians who do this. They need the book of James so badly. Because James here, he won't pull, he is not watering this down at all. So we have to admit, first and foremost, at the start, 2.14 is the start of the sticky passage. It's 14 through 26. Right? It's the one that everybody, you got the Lordship Salvation guys, you got John MacArthur down there in California, and you got the other guys throughout Dallas Theological and wherever. Everybody in between, they're arguing, arguing about this. This is the beginning of the sticky passage. And it is sticky unless we know the book as a whole. And then we can see clearly what James is writing about. Uh, He is talking about a salvation based on works, is he not? James isn't talking about salvation by grace at all. So if we just admit what he says, can that faith save him? Sorry, I just said that that. I'm not supposed to. Can faith save him? No. All right. What kind of what kind of save is is uh, he talking about? And that's where we start to learn. Saved in verse 14 begs the question: Saved from what? Saved from what? I could be saved from a plane crash. I could be saved from physical death. I could be saved from a disease. I could be saved, and in James's case, 
I could be saved from a life that is conquered by sin. I can be saved from a life that is conquered by selfishness, by bitterness. Generally, you know, bitter people aren't bitter all the time, but you know, we're supposed to be conquerors. So what God doesn't do in the Scripture, we talk about this all the time, don't we? we God doesn't water down what it is we're supposed to be. We're to be Christ-like. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God in love. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sermon on the Mount. Even look at a woman to lust for her. You've committed adultery. What are we supposed to be as believers? We're supposed to be like Him. Be filled with the Spirit, full of joy and thankfulness all the time. Not part-time. Not kind of happy sometimes. Not kind of strong. Why do you think God doesn't water this down? Because if He does, if he just says, hey, look, you guys are all saved. Don't worry about it. We won't do anything and we'll never experience. If we're not called to the heights of heaven, how high are we going to reach? No, he say, live up to your potential. You've probably heard that. <laughs> we always say, well, keep the bar low for me. You know, kind of like a limbo. You know, just keep me nice and low. But God doesn't set the bar low for us, does he? We're, we're made new creatures in Christ to be conformed to Christ's image. We're to be just like him in everything. And that's what James is after. I truly love it. It never dawned on me before. How to unite what, what James is writing about with the fact that this is the very first book written that would be in the New Testament. It's not first in the New Testament, but it's the first book written. And therefore, we say God the Holy Spirit, the first book that he gives to the church is not theology. Theology is coming. But he gives obedience. Basically, what God is saying to the church right at the beginning, that this is not a lie. Christianity is not something that you agree with. It is not something that you like. It's not something that you assent to. It's not even something that you say is good. Christianity is something that you live. And what means that? It's obedience, right? Trust and obedience. And that's what James is after. <coughs> so if we keep that in mind, now the concept of, uh, of, a, of saving the life by obedience we can actually hear James uh, properly. So if we keep in mind that what James is talking about is saving our lives by obedience to God's Word. Receive the Word implanted, right? And it'll save your life. Then now look at James' example, 2.15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What good is that? Some translations say, what good is that? The New American Standard says, what use is that? <coughs> Excuse me. So, we've been waiting over a year for Mayor Rail Gibb in Portland. Yeah, no, I'm not going to leave him alone. And it, he hasn't done anything. 
He hasn't done anything. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. Portland is just as crime-ridden and out of control and full of homelessness, and nothing has changed. It was a lot of hot air. He told us that he was conservative. He told us that he was going to change. He told us that he was going to enforce the law. He told us that he was going to clean up the city and, 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 and get rid of the criminals and help people. You know, he's not a tyrant. This is a fictitious guy, so you can make him up into anything you like. But nothing changed. It turned out, or at least it seems, that he was just as leftist and greedy and power-hungry as the rest of them. It turns out that he just told us what he told us to get elected. He wet his finger and put it to the air and felt the winds of change, and so he went with it. And he fooled us. Well, not us. It doesn't matter how we vote. He fooled the people who really wanted change. It would be a miracle, wouldn't it? They wanted change in Portland and in Eugene. Now, notice how that is similar, parallel to what James is saying here. The brother or sister comes to this believer and says, I'm cold and I'm hungry. And the believer, I'm, I'm a believer, right? I'm my, I bear the name Christian, just like Rail Gibb bears the name conservative. I bear the name Christian. And I have food. I've got a fridge full of it. I've got a pantry full of it. I have clothes. I've got a closet full of coats and sweaters. I could give them to them. Wouldn't even cost me anything. But in Christianity, even if it does cost us something, and it will at times, that's why it's called a trial, we're to give anyway. Why do we do that? Because we're Christian. That's why. We don't give to earn things in heaven and say, hey God, did you see me give a sweater to that homeless guy? What do I get in heaven? Do I get crowns? I'll gladly trade in an old sweater for an eternal crown. Wow, aren't you? Pat yourself on the back for that one. <clears throat> Why are we doing this? It's because of who we are. That, that name Christian has the name Christ in it. Say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, who God so loved the world that he gave. And here is a person who's just simply hungry, and I won't provide. Now, James uses a simple example. <clears throat> and that's what faith says. If I'm a Christian, I, that's my faith. That's the faith that I live. And James says, but what if you don't do it? Now, take it to another example, because I'm sure for all of us, if someone was hungry or cold, we would give them what we had. I know for you guys you would. But this is what James is getting at as the principle. What if I know it is the will of God for me to do something and I'm too scared to do it? Aren't I falling into the same category? I mean, if I have ten sweaters in my closet and somebody needs one, that's a pretty easy give. Right? But what if, I, what if somebody needs money and I don't have much? Am I supposed to give? Am I supposed to be gracious if I'm poor? I absolutely am. Why? Because it's who we are. That's the attitude. God is a giver. He's our Father. We're givers. <clears throat> James says, well, look, 
If you're a believer and your faith says that you should live in such a way, and yet you don't, he says, what good is that? So what good was our illustrious Mayor Rail Gibb? He was of no use at all. He did nothing, and he lied to us, thanks for nothing, or at least we think. The other thing here, too, is that it's not so much that... Because it's not only lying. If I bear the name Christian, and I don't live like one, I'm kind of, you know, what? it's not kind of. I'm advertising that I am a Christian, right? I'm a believer. I go to church. I study my Bible. I am a representative of Christ. If someone who's not a Christian is stingy and selfish and bitter and angry and won't forgive... Uh, and is addicted to immoral behavior. All right, right. They're they're not proclaiming to be something that they're not. But when we're and again, don't get me wrong here, because it takes time for us to grow. I get it. But for a lot of believers, they use that it takes time to grow excuse to like infinitum. They they never grow, and that's what the first book written to the church is about. It's an early book. God doesn't... Where do you read here that God says, all right, 20 years from now, I want you to live right. Live like my son. No, it's now. To bear the crown of life now. Right? And you can see that this would be a, a very real... Probably a very real reason why a lot of Christians don't like this book. Because it challenges you right off the bat. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Right from the start. It's like things are going to be tough. Don't you dare complain about it. (laughs) That's what God says to us. Don't you whine and complain about it. I want joy in you. Because you know what I'm doing to you by allowing you to go through these trials? I am producing in you endurance, which is going to strengthen your faith. You're going to need that faith because there's more trials coming. And that's why I caution here. It does take time to grow. But, you know, and this is between you and God. Every believer knows, I, you know, I know where I am as a believer. I've been a believer for 30, 91, 32 years I've been a believer. And uh, you think, I, am, I am not content with where I am as in terms of growth. 32 years, there's been a lot of wasted time there. In fact, part of my prayer lately is that I have enough time. Because time is getting short. You know, would any of us say that, you know, that take this... To those of us who love God's Word and want to glorify Him, we love this stuff. You know, do we want the challenge of it? For the believer who says, hey, that's legalistic, I don't want that. Get away from me with that legalism. They're just looking for an excuse not to live it. They haven't. And, again, the time factor. Any believer who says that has not. Because what do you say about the, the crown of life again? Back in 112. Short book. You can go back and read it. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why won't believers persevere? 
stay the course. They don't love him. And that's what they should be told. It's not, that, it's not because you're more of a wicked sinner than anybody else. We all are. It's that you haven't come to know the Lord and what He's done for you. Because if you did, you would love Him. So by faith itself, as James presents in his letter, is akin to Mayor Gibb misleading us. We have faith. We even professed it. We told people, but we didn't do anything about it. Now, the analogy is not perfect, but no analogy is. But the reason why I use this mayor illustration is because I thought of, you know, how do I present this justification business in a real life, you know, something that we can identify with now? And that's what I came up with. <clears throat> why do I call him Mayor Gibb? You'll find out in a bit. Christians believe in Christ, and as a result, they are new selves. Is that correct? Nicodemus, you must be born again, born of water and of the Spirit, meaning cleansed, or it could mean just physical birth. I don't buy that interpretation, not to get distracted here. But we are God's first fruits, right? So when God grows a crop, what's it supposed to look like? That new life, our new life, comes with a whole bunch of wonderful things that we're supposed to do. They're wonderful things that are not of the world, the flesh, or the devil. In fact, the world, the flesh, and the devil are of what James calls death. What God has given us is life. That's why we can't be tempted by God, because God is life, temptation is death, if we give in to it. So James calls it death. If it's lived out, he calls it the crown of life. That's the choice. And it's exactly what God says to Israel in Deuteronomy. I set before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. That's what he told them. And he didn't say, I set before you life, half-life, and then death. He didn't say that. He's like, I've given you two choices. You either believe in me and follow me, or you reject me and follow yourself. It's not actually odd for James to use death as the description of a believer's life that's ruled with sin. It's not odd at all, actually. Do you remember when we studied the filling of the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is... The New American Standard says dissipation. But the word is actually prodigal. Or the, the Greek word is asetia. It means wasteful. Uh, the word meant, if you remember we studied it, it's like I take the good things that God has given me and with both hands I throw them out. That's what it means. Do not be drunk with wine. That's you taking the things of God that has blessed you with and you chuck them in the trash. And go about your day. <clears throat> Notice the prodigal. Luke fifteen thirteen. He squandered his estate on loose living. That's what's wonderful about knowing the original language because we say loose living. Okay. What comes to your mind when you think of loose living? I mean, I, there's a picture in my mind, but it you know, depends, on who you, depends on what you would consider loose for you, probably. But where the, <clears throat> the word loose is, it's prodigal. 
That's asatia. It's the same word that's in don't get drunk with wine that is prodigal. And notice what the father, when the prodigal comes back, notice what the father says. This son of mine was what? Dead. And he has come to life again. Well, he didn't die physically. Look, Jesus is the one telling this parable. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to this life and death issue. For someone is, and we, you know, we, you can't read too much into the parable about things, but you can kind of read into the fact that this son is a son. Are you and I sons and daughters of God? Forever we are. We're his first fruits. But if we, if we have prodigal living, we say, hey, Father, adios. Thanks for the eternal life. Thanks for the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to go hang out with the Corinthians now and do whatever the hell I please. I'm going to go be loose liver, <laughs> which could give you a damaged liver. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to be loose. I'm going to be prodigal. <clears throat> now, what happens when the sun runs back? The part we love the most. Because we all have done this. We may do it again. But we have to come back. Right? This isn't in the parable you don't think of an isolated sin or an isolated, you know, mistake where I lost my temper or you know, and I got it back or I fell into some you know, I fell into the addiction again, but I stopped, you know. This is I'm leaving. Dad, give me my stuff. I don't and it, it, so somebody was referencing this. I, I forget where I read it, and it, he he had translated it as the son wished his father was dead because then he would get his inheritance. He wouldn't have to ask for it, which is reading way into it way too much. You, you can't read into parables like that and think it's truth. But I thought it was an interesting take on it. But after the son almost dies, he can't wait to get back, and the father runs to him, does not condemn him throws his arm around him, celebrates his return, couldn't be happier. And this is what James is after. Do not throw your life away. Do not throw this eternal life away. You can't lose it. You'll be in eternity forever. But in these decades of time that you have here on earth, as you're, going, as you're walking through life, do not throw the opportunity away. And don't forget, and James is going to bring this out, <coughs> excuse me, I hate this thing, but I got it. What James is going to throw, James is going to mention it, there's a judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged for what we've done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So James is not subtle about this, is he? Oh, no. He's not, oh, I know you guys are young. I know you haven't been born again for a long time. He does not care. James is a great man of God. He is the leader of the Jerusalem church. And therefore, he inspires me. I don't want to be subtle about it either. I, I would not care. I could care less <coughs> um, to seek out some middle ground here. You know, my job and, and any communicator's job is to teach you the very reality of what's in the Word of God and then leave it to you. It's up to you. Uh, you know, I, I, I do my best to make it as clear and as um, 
motivating as possible because I care for you. Like, you know, I, I don't know why. <laughs> That's a dumb statement. That was kind of a joke. I, know, I, I care for you because, you know, God has made me a, an under-shepherd, an under, underground shepherd, really. And, uh, and so, you know, I care for my flock. I, I, want, I want for me and I want for you this exceptional life. All right, how about Mayor Gibb? Let's say Mayor Gibb really did mean to do what he said. He didn't lie to us. He actually was gung-ho. He was that conservative guy. He really was. And he made it somehow. He got elected into Portland, and he goes into City Hall, and what does he find there? Everybody applauding him? Oh, we know. This is like Trump walking in the White House. It's the same thing. From the get-go, there is what? Opposition. Right? Russiagate was in the works the two seconds after the election results came out. Not that, I'm not like proclaiming Trump fan or anything. I'm just stating uh, recent history. Our conservative, in case all, any of you out there don't know anything about Portland, Oregon, just check out the news. <laughs> And you'll find out it's how it's run and how it has been run into the ground by uh, incompetent people. I'll just say, I'll leave it at that. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I'd say, go visit. <laughs> you'll, you'll see why. <clears throat> but Mayor Gibb, getting back to Mayor Gibb, his name's Rail Gibb. He actually was conservative, but when he, when he went into City Hall, all he found was opposition. He found out that most people didn't want him to make those changes because if he did, their own nefarious plans were going to be capsized, their own desire for wealth and money. He found out that the press was more than ready to lie about him and to accuse him of things that he hadn't done and ruin his reputation. He lost friends. He lost family. And so, he's at that place. And I think it's a place that every Christian will eventually find themselves in. Maybe multiple times. Crossroads. Uh, Solomon writes about it in Ecclesiastes. Will you take the left or the right? What would he do if this were the case? A person in this position... Actually, we've seen a lot of this recently in the pandemic. There are people in a position where they took a stand against the establishment and when the pressure came, they caved. For some of them, they did not cave. And I I know a few, I've read of a few and seen interviews with a few where their entire lives were turned upside down. So what would Mayor Gibb do? He's been in office a year. He's got three more years. He could turn it around. He could fight or what? Cave. He could cave. He could just say, you know what, I'm so tired. Every time I open the newspaper, it's another lie about me. Uh, my kids are being made fun of at school. The people in, in City Hall hate me. Uh, I'm, it's, it's stressing me out. I'm losing weight. I can't sleep. What should I do? What would you do? It's very easy to sit on my comfortable couch and say, well, you know, I'd go through it. I'd stay the course. Would you? Well, you're going to find out. You know why you're going to find out? 
James 1-2. There are various trials and our character of our faith is going to be either proven to be strong or weak. God's not going to wait for us to ask Him, okay, you know, it's kind of like joining the, the military or something, or I'm going to go into to training. It's not going to be your choice. God is going to bring it. He, he doesn't tempt anyone, though. He's going to allow it. And it's going to come. And it's going to test our mettle, our faith. So, the Christian life has various trials. And unlike the example that J- James gives, where someone's just hungry or cold which would be easy for us, there are actually going to be things that it's going to hurt to be gracious. It's going to hurt to serve. I'm going to have to actually give up some time. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, I should have, well, it comes to mind, so I'll say it. I was saying something uh, not long ago about, you know, when the, the spirit takes care of the body, we're supposed to actually take care of these things these bodies, so that we serve God with them. And then I think I must have said something about tobacco smoke, or I know I said something about alcohol because we were talking about don't be drunk with wine, but I said something about tobacco. And the person who's listening who's a smoker sent me a, a, an email or a text and said, you know, is it sin, do you think it's sinful to smoke? And I was like, ah, oh, um, no, no. Did I say that? <laughs> I don't remember and he, he said, I kind of said it off the cuff, and what I was speaking about was really taking care of our bodies. Um, <clears throat> but what I did say to him is like, okay, say you're a smoker. Or I, I was a smoker for years. Thank, I'm, I'm very glad I quit. Um, and say you're, you, know, you have an opportunity to serve somebody and to do something, and you say, like, please hold. i got to go have my cigarette. If Instead of doing God's will, you're going to, puff on a smoke, now, it's not really the smoking that's the issue, though, is it? And we kind of laughed about that and chatted about that because he's not that kind of person, but and some people are. Hey, this, this, is my, this is my smoke break, man. Leave me alone. This is my drink break. Leave me alone. This is my this break. Leave me alone. This is my time. Leave me alone. That, James calls, God calls, death. That's death. You are not laying down your life for the brethren. You are not laying down your life for the Lord. And you need to know that. And if you know that, at least you can do something about it. Don't lie to yourself and think that, you know, the Christian way of life is some thing other than it is. Because it's not. It's Christ-like to the core. So, in my Mayor Gibb, he caved. Of course he did. I know. I mean, he's fictional. <laughs> Mayor Gibb gave in. What is? What would we call that now in reference to James? Death. But did he die? Not himself. His death was... Now, how is death used? Death is a complex word. It doesn't always mean either physical death or spiritual death. It doesn't always mean that. Death is a dead idea. A dead promise, a dead term, dead wrong. We use dead in a lot of ways. And we just saw with the prodigal, right? What did, the, what did Jesus say of the father? He was dead. He wasn't physically dead. 
And he certainly wasn't, you know, spiritually dead. He's he's the the son. Paul Paul says of himself that when the law came and he sinned in Romans seven, he said, "I died," but he didn't die physically, and he was born spiritually dead. It wasn't the law that made him dead. He just said that when sin occurs, he described it as death. And that's what God means here. That's what James means here. It is a darkened life leading to eventually a dark tomb. And that for a saved Christian who has eternal life. It certainly can lead to physical death. James would have that in mind a little bit, I would think, because as the Christian matures, as he ages... If his sin matures and overtakes his life, that person's life, even though they're physically alive, is looking more and more like physical death. They're getting close. Their behavior, their thinking, I mean, they might as well be in the grave. they got one foot in. <clears throat> now, one can see how a denomination that believes uh, it's a Calvinistic. It depends. You know, there's various degrees of Calvinism. But there's a, <clears throat> a point to Calvinism, which is perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints basically states that all believers are going to be bang-up Christians. All believers. That all believers are going to live victorious lives. And if that's true, can they interpret James the way I'm interpreting it? They could not. And I have to, therefore, lead that, leave that to you. I would encourage you, if, if you read their books or listened to their messages and, and come to your own conclusions, you should know. You know. I know there's some pastors who would not want that. But what I want for you is to know that, you know, to test the Scriptures. Is that, does James mean eternal life here? Does James mean that if I don't have a life filled with good works, I can't be a saved person? In my view, and I think, you know, if you just read the letter as it is, that is absolutely not true. He says to them, you are my brethren. He says to them, you were brought forth by the word of God, which would be the gospel. He says to them, you are God's first fruits. Now, live the crown of life. Don't live a life of death. Don't live a life under the control of sin. Can believers live lives under the control of sin? Thank you, Corinthians, wherever you are up in heaven. I'm going to shake every one of your hands <laughs> for the wrong reason. I'm just glad for the book because the book has this. These are immoral people who have rejected the way of God and they're saved people. Uh, they'll be disciplined. Do we know all the people who are behaving badly that say they're Christians? Do we know they're Christians? It's not up for us to know anyway. This is the first book written that God would include in his New Testament. Before theology would come, Christology would come. It would be, it's there, it's just not written down yet. More details about doctrines will be written down in the other letters that fill the New Testament. But God is sure to impress upon us that the Christian life was never meant to be believed or assented to or agreed to or even applauded without living it. I say, I love the Christian life. It's the best life ever. But I don't live it. God's first book to the church is don't you dare do that. <clears throat> and he's not scaring us and doing it. 
Well, he's got the judgment seat in here. That's a little scary. But <laughs> James is going to say to us, look, one thing you should have. I'll cover it. I think I'm going to do this for an extra week. I, I have to. I, I'm falling in love with this book. But show mercy. He says them. This is, this is a sideshow to the message. Yeah, you got sin. I got sins, right? Uh, I mean, we're going to be judged, Christ said, according to our deeds, good or bad. All right. How many bad deeds do I have? I don't want to know. But I'm going to stand there before Christ knowing that I, you know, I got I got him. How that's going to go down? I don't know. I don't know. It's just stated to us the way it is. I mean, it, it makes me cautious more than it ever has. I guess as you get older, that happens. <laughs> it's coming soon. But... What James says is, look, if you're merciful, you will be shown mercy. Right? And it's kind of subtle. It's like, yeah, all right, you have all these bad deeds that you're going to be judged for by Christ. Judged not to eternal lake of fire, but whatever he says. He says he's going to recompense us. You're going to be recompensed. And then James says, look, be merciful. And I wonder if that means that when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, Christ is going to be like, yeah, you got some, you got a whole pile of bad deeds right over there. Well, you could climb it, but you've been merciful. Take it for what it is. <clears throat> so the sticky part gets a little stickier. Sorry, I meant this to be over sooner, but look at James 2.24. Yeah, we already read it. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Oy, oy, oy. Now look. We've already seen. If James isn't writing about saving for eternal life, but saving our lives in time, we've already established that, and I think it's pretty clear. If James isn't writing about saving for eternal life, but saving our lives in time, if he's not writing about spiritual death, but using the term death for a Christian who does not wear the crown of life, whose life is overrun by sin, why would we assume, therefore, that the word justification has to do with salvation. He's not writing about salvation. He is writing about <coughs> Christians living their faith. Not just stating their faith, assenting their faith, reading their faith. We, all have, we have to do all of those too. But he is writing about Christianity, Christians living their faith. That's what he's writing about. And here is my last question for you. Was Mayor Rail Gibb justified? This man who said he was going to do all this and all that and that he promised us and we voted for him, would we say of him, you're a justified man? No, we would not. But we wouldn't mean justified in the sense of eternity in the lake of fire, we would say, look, what you proclaimed to be was a lie. And so I tied this into, see how tricky that is, right? <laughs> to Sunday's message, James said, don't look into the mirror and then walk away and forget who you are. Rail give backwards is big liar. <clears throat> I think I could have called him, but... Yeah, I don't want to be too harsh on my fictitious guy here. We, we all crumble under the pressure at times. But um, 
That's what ju- this justification is about us proclaiming to be something and not being that thing. And therefore, that would be called unjustified. You are not justified to say that you are of Christ and you don't live Christ. Are you justified for eternity? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this book. And thank you that you impress upon us from the start that we have to apply our faith to live our faith because it's a life. It's not an idea. It's not an ideology. It's not any ology. It is a life. It is a life that is fashioned on a person. And that person is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guide us, Father, through your Spirit to see that clearly so that we may be even more motivated than ever to be the people that you have made us to be, not to earn your affection or your merit, but because we love and adore the preciousness of your creation in us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.